So for us, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 again, uh, looking at uh, the kingdom parables, the kingdom of God. And remember, this is our summer series that we're just looking at uh, different parables that Jesus used to teach. And uh, we've been in Matthew 13 the last couple weeks. Uh, we're going to be here uh, this week as well. Uh, and uh, most of the parables that Jesus uh, taught with tell us about the kingdom and then how to live in it. So remember earlier in Matthew, there's the idea, um, Matthew 4.23, it's actually in Matthew 9 as well, that, that he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and doing what? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, typically reminded just uh, that we typically think of the gospel as like personal salvation, but here Matthew is talking about a much broader sense of the good news. Uh, yes, it involves God saving individuals, but proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people, that there's a tangible effect of the, of the rule and reign of God as it's ushered in more and more uh, by the work of Jesus. So uh, when we get back to Matthew 13 today, that our passage is going to describe for us the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then we're going to see a few things. So would you stand with me as we just long to hear from the word? This is Jesus speaking to us uh, uh, in, in parables uh, so that we might uh, be... Uh, have a better understanding if the Spirit would reveal himself to, him, to us. So he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And then jump down to verse 44, uh, as we've already looked at the stuff in between with uh, the wheat and the weeds. Uh, that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So many different uh, just pictures of the kingdom. Why don't we just pray and ask God uh, to teach us by his word. Uh, Father, would you, by your Spirit, come? Uh, would you meet with us? Would you teach us? Uh, God, uh, I ask that you would help us understand what you mean by the kingdom. What does your rule and reign in this world look like? How is it good news for us? And Father, how do we live in light of it? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So I remember one Christmas uh, when I was nine years old, uh, there was this huge box wrapped up and uh, it wasn't under the tree because it couldn't fit under the tree. It was next to the tree and it had my name on it. And uh, it was heavy, it was massive. Uh, there must be some incredible 
gift in this. And I tore into it and opened that thing up only to find a slightly smaller box meticulously wrapped inside of that big one. Uh, And like any nine-year-old boy, I was up to the challenge. Uh, And so I dove into that box only to find another box inside of that, and then another, and then another. I have no idea. I don't remember how many boxes there were. Uh, But um, in that uh, of uh, unwrapping all these boxes, I remember feeling defeated. You know, I went from this massive gift to like, oh, okay, you know, this thing is, is kind of, you know, kind of becoming smaller and smaller as I went. And then as I opened one box, I found my dad's trailer hitch, which gave the box the weight. And I'm like, oh, he's like, that's not your gift. I'm like, great. So now I've got a really small gift with no weight. And uh, I'm like, really? You know, this is going to be a letdown. Small box, not heavy at all. Uh, But instead, I finally get down to that last one, and in it was the watch that I wanted. I'd been talking about it for months to my parents. Um, I'll spare you the details on what kind of watch it was. Uh, But, um, you know, and I I got the thing that I actually wanted, but it was kind of, it was really small. And so my initial expectations were this huge monstrosity of a gift. It was small, but I learned that, you know, as a nine-year-old, good things come in small packages. And, and, you know, it's interesting that we inherently think that the big box under the tree is much better than the small box, right? As you get older, you realize money fits in small boxes. But that's okay. That's okay. It was nine, right? And we tend to think about development of things the same way, that there's something about small beginnings that frustrate us, that we look down on, uh, you know, if something doesn't start fast and grow continuously from there, well, there must be something wrong, right? You know, y- slow growth, we kind of look at it like, eh, is it really the, you know, the best kind? But really, slow growth is sustainable growth. And small beginnings truly don't mean anything in terms of future effect. But as a nine-year-old, I had to learn that. And we're probably still learning that in some fashion, even into adulthood. And Jesus explains the kingdom in terms of a small seed and leaven. That these parables, along with the sower and the wheat and the weeds, which we did the last two weeks, uh, really are Jesus, as one commentator says, purposely and emphatically dealing with the manner in which the kingdom will come. So Jesus, by these examples of the sower sowing seed, the the wheat and the weeds, uh, the idea of uh, a mustard seed and leaven, he's, he's explaining to us how the kingdom is here and how it will continue to come. And what we see in that is that the kingdom is often unseen, but it is very real. You know, verse 31 talks about the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. Verse 33, the kingdom, the kingdom is like, what? Leaven hidden in flour. It's unseen, right? Leaven is a substance that makes dough rise. We, we talk about yeast as one example of that. Uh, a seed goes into the ground. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're both truly hidden. One's actually buried, you could say. Uh, and the kingdom is, is similar. It's often unseen, but it's growing. 
and it is at work. Leaven or yeast works even though you can't see it once it gets worked into the dough. Uh, seeds grow especially when you can't see them, right? Uh, few, a few seeds will grow if they're just on top of the soil, but typically they have to be buried in some fashion. So there's these unseen realities. You know, when mustard seeds take, you know, five to ten days to germinate. Uh, and so initially, you might be wondering, is anything even happening? I put some seeds out this year, and nothing has happened. And so I go up and look, and there's still nothing there. Anyway, um, not the green thumb. But anyway, uh, so we heard this this week, uh, uh, Todd and Chrissy and Linda and myself went to a general assembly for our denomination. And one speaker was, was speaking on the kingdom and its advancement, and he quoted Gerhardus Voss. And, uh, and, and Voss, in writing on the kingdom, he says the kingdom exists not merely where God is supreme. Why? Because for that is true at all times and under all circumstances. God's always supreme. But the kingdom is where God supernaturally carries through his supremacy against all opposing powers and brings man to the willing recognition of the same. Okay, So that last part is not just that God is over everything and, and is sovereign over everything. It's where he brings his sovereignty and his supremacy to bear against things that oppose him. That's one aspect of the kingdom. And then brings people to see it. That that is the kingdom of God. And so it's interesting that a seed and leaven are unseen, but the nature of the kingdom is God pushing against the things that are wrong in this world, pushing back the forces that oppose him, and then bringing us to the place of actually recognizing it. There's this beautiful picture of what God brings. And that's, remember, that's why Jesus said he speaks in parables is actually to conceal the message of the gospel or the message of the kingdom from some and to reveal it to others. And the ones that he, re- he uses parables to reveal it to are the ones that God has given an understanding to. We're going to end our time with our benediction. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Why? Because it has been given to you by God. And so there's this sense where the unseen reality of the kingdom, uh, that God is very much at work, and it it grows as we get to see it. So there's unseen and, and but very real. But then there's a seemingly insignificant nature of the kingdom, but it changes everything. And so, so the two uh, initial comparisons were to a mustard seed and leaven. So Last time you planted mustard was, right, okay, um, me too, you know, and, you know, so it's the smallest of seeds of the plants cultivated in that day in antiquity, uh, and it basically, if you take out a pen, a mustard seeds, a seed is about the size of the tip of your pen, not like one of those real fine ones, but the medium size, right, uh, and, and so here's just a, a glimpse of, you know, so that's a mustard seed. Uh, there's four of them, next to the size of a penny. So we're talking small, 
right? And uh, so it's, it's a very small thing, but that seed, when cultivated, uh, it was ground up and, and used for spices and the oil uh, in different ways. And in Palestine, they use those darker seeds, which is called black mustard, um, and it would grow to a height of 10 to 12 feet tall. So you hear Jesus' example. This little thing that's, you know, that you, if you hold, you might lose in your hand, grows to this 12-foot-tall plant or tree, uh, much larger than anything. The seemingly insignificant thing grows to the most significant thing in your garden. And so then he goes on from the mustard seed to talk about leaven. And uh, I hear there's a baking class at VBS this year. So, uh, so kid, whoever's in there can tell us about what leaven does. The yeast, a very, very small amount of yeast worked through the entire batch of dough. It disappears, right? It's tiny. It looks like it has no effect, but yet it touches everything. It's inside of the dough. It's affecting everything that it is touching. And there's this exponential effect that Jesus is talking about. A little seed grows to a huge bush. A small amount of leaven affects the whole batch of dough so that it rises. And and you can hear Jesus' explanation of the kingdom of God. His explanation of him pushing back the forces that oppose him. Pushing back those things and then allowing us to see it. That the kingdom grows from this little speck that we're like, eh. Nothing's really happening to this massive exponential uh, work of the kingdom. The point is really clear. It's the contrast between the beginning and the fulfillment. A small beginning and a glorious fulfillment. That the present reality of the kingdom right now, as you're looking around, remember what we saw last week, is that the kingdom of God is what? Is it just the church? No, it's the world. So the kingdom of God, as you look at the world, you're like, eh, maybe it's not so significant. Maybe it's not so glorious. That even when the the present reality of the kingdom may seem small or insignificant, or the forces that buffet against the kingdom might be gaining traction, the future reality of what God will unfold and will ultimately fulfill, surpass the glory of any kingdom in this world. You know, seeds are buried. Leaven is inside the batch. They disappear, but they have this deeply transformative effect. So remember, you know, that, that Voss definition of where God pushes back and then allows us to see it. It's happening, and God reveals it to us. He allows us to see it, to recognize his supremacy over what is wrong in this world. It's interesting. When you start to think about, even though you might be, not be able to see it, it's very real. Even though it might be small, it's, it's transformative. It, these passages begin to just drip with hope and joy and expectation. Why? Because God's at work. What the beautiful thing about farming and putting seed in the ground is that other than throwing it in and maybe putting a little water on it, the farmer is passive. Right? How great is that? That God, yeah, he he may use us to advance his kingdom, but who is the one advancing? 
It's not us. We get to enjoy God's advancement and his kingdom growing in this world. Even when we might not see all of how it is at work, God is there transforming everything. You know, it's already been mentioned twice in our service of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, knowing that God is the creator and giver of life. Life is a miracle of divine power, yet human nature values personal freedom, personal autonomy, sexual expression, however, uh, however someone wants to define it. All of those things higher than the value of human life in God's design of how it comes to be. Quite honestly, I never expected that case to be overturned in my lifetime. I'm not sure about you. Uh, it is simply one way that we see the power of God at work, pushing back opposing powers, opposing truth claims. But we, we can typically make it so big that we lose sight of it. What about the day-to-day work of our friends and neighbors for the kingdom? So same concept, but we talk about Daybreak Pregnancy Center, where the people uh, in front of uh, a Planned Parenthood called A Moment of Hope, ministering to young women and young couples who are navigating the options for pregnancy. What do they do? They seek to save the lives of babies. They help new parents raise their children. Uh, And if they feel like they are unable to parent, they walk them towards the beauty of adoption. That's kingdom work. It's the kingdom taking effect and pushing back the things that seem in opposition to the living God. Sometimes it feels small. Uh, You know, uh, we used to go down to... Uh, tons of our guys used to go down to daybreak and actually meet with uh, the, the guys that would come in with a girlfriend or a husband come in with a wife. And we would sit there and we would talk with them. And I remember a stretch where like all of my conversations just felt like nothing was happening. Like, man, we're not getting any solid conversations. And then it's, you know, then, then you hear of the, the example of a conversation that happened months ago that someone calls back months later and, and lets you know and lets the office know of God being at work in the middle of those appointments. You don't see it. It feels like a mustard seed, quite honestly, a mustard seed that you just threw away. But yet God is at work transforming the lives of people and pushing back those forces that oppose him. Where do you see that that at work in your own life? What are the things you're involved in that you know you're on the precipice of, uh, of things that oppose and push against the things of God? Where does God have you that you could be a part of his work to advance his kingdom? And oftentimes, I think we neglect those things. Why? Because we think it's not going to matter. And if it were up to you and your strength and me and my strength, it wouldn't. But that's not the promise of the kingdom. We are part of the kingdom. We are walking on behalf of the living God in the power of the Holy Spirit, pushing back the forces of evil. And God promises to be the one that takes a little mustard seed and brings about a transformative effect, a little bit of leaven, and it changes the whole thing. 
But then he gets to the, uh, to the second two comparisons uh, and things that are hidden but have worth, uh, that, but are worth all that you have. Uh, basically, you know, the, the second one in verse 44, or the, the first of these hidden things, that the kingdom of heaven is like what? Like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like what? A pearl of great value. And so two things going on in these parables. First is the, the, the value of some kind of treasure or some kind of pearl. Uh, that's the first thing, and that's primary, is the value of these things is the value of the kingdom. But there's also something else going on in that the ones who find it go and they give up everything in order to possess it. Okay, So there's something of inordinate value, and then there's a giving up of everything they have. And so the immense value of, tre- of hidden treasure of a pearl of great value. Uh, so back in that day, uh, you know, we talked about this actually a couple of years ago. There are no banks in kind of ancient Israel, right? You don't take your money and you put it on deposit. If you had a bunch of money or you had some things that are very valuable, what do you do? Well, you don't want someone to steal it, so you don't keep it in your house. You go and you bury it somewhere, Right? And so, but then you go off to war, and you haven't told anybody where it is, and, you know, in war, so, you know, something happens, you're on the front lines, and you die. So you're, you've died, and now your treasure is buried in this field. Nobody knows where it is, so nobody goes looking for it. Well, so this was actually a common thing, or not, not common common, but like this was sort of in the mix uh, in their uh, in the way that their culture worked, you know, so somebody could be out in the field and they actually find hidden treasure. It's kind of like, you know, a somewhat version of hitting the jackpot, right? And and so finders keepers was the rule of the day, and and so f- the guy's out working in the field finds this treasure. Well, the treasure is on this piece of property. He doesn't want any kind of loophole to negate him from finding his treasure. What does he do? He goes, he sells every bit of possession that he has in order to come and buy the piece of property and get the treasure. Same thing with the pearl. Same exact move. They find something of immense, uh, of immense value and then they give up everything to go get it. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden and the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great value, that it is so valuable, you will go and give up everything in order to possess it. It's interesting, because giving up everything you have doesn't sound like good news, right? You know, the good news of the kingdom, until you realize what you are giving up is much less valuable than what you are going after. You give up something of minimal value to gain treasure that you can't even imagine. This is true of the entrance into the kingdom of God. Not just entrance in, but the blessings of and what God brings and allows us to see. What's pretty wild is the idea of hidden treasure, it's been there the whole time. People are walking by it. People are walking over it. People don't know it's there, but it's there. 
I think that's the nature of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God ushered in uh, through uh, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and its flourishing. Uh, it's been here the whole time and people are probably walking right past it. It's when God opens our eyes that we get to see and perceive and recognize these things. God is the one that opens our eyes to what he is doing. You know, the kingdom isn't announced with a billboard. You know, it's been there the whole time, but so often many completely miss it. It's interesting that, that Jesus would describe the kingdom, the rule and reign of, of Jesus over the opposing forces of evil and us being able to see it. He describes that as worth everything in your life. And quite honestly, I don't think we believe that to our core. And that's where the nature of faith is, that God even accepts people that don't believe that claim to its fullness. You know, what would happen if you lost your retirement, your house, uh, and all of your possessions? How would you feel about life? Crushing. Now, those were tragic, but would life be worth living? Some people would say no. And in some sense, we value something else greater than the kingdom of God. But Jim Elliott, one uh, missionary, uh, he actually lost his life as he took the gospel uh, to a people in South America. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what's wild is in that passage of the hidden treasure, it's not that he just, the, 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 the worker just went and sold all he had to get the treasure. What was the emotion on it? Verse 44, in his joy, he went and gave up everything to go get the treasure. And Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like that. That in joy, you will give everything up in order to possess it. Jim Elliot gave his life for the kingdom of of God. It's interesting, uh, author Randy Alcorn, um, he, he, wrote, he wrote of uh, a family missions trip that he and his family did. And on that trip, uh, he went and they visited uh, Egypt. And while there, uh, the, the host of the Alcorn family, they took them to this abandoned graveyard that he said was, was at the end of a garbage-lined alley. Okay. And the host took them, took them and pointed to one tombstone in particular in that graveyard. And it was a man named William Borden. He lived from 1887 to 1913. He was the heir to the Borden Dairy Estate in the late 1800s. That he was a millionaire, William was, by the age of 21 at the late 1800s. That's like some serious coin, right? Uh, but at 21, he renounces his family's fortune. He gives his wealth all the way to, to missions. And his heart's desire was to take the gospel to the Muslims in China. And on his way to China, he stops off uh, in Egypt to study Arabic. Uh, and in that, four months later, he contracts spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. The watching world would obviously say... This guy had everything, and he just wasted his life. 
Alcorn writes, I dusted off the inscription on the headstone of his grave, and after describing his love for Christ, his commitment, and his love to the Muslim people, his sacrifices for the kingdom of God, the inscription ended with this, that apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. There's no explanation for a guy to negate that kind of wealth and give his life on the, on the field trying to bring the gospel to people who don't know him apart from faith in Christ. And that's where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's like a pearl of great price. It is the thing that it trumps everything else that he must have found, William Borden. He must have found a treasure even more desirable than his the fortunes of his family. He's found the blessings and the benefits of the kingdom. In fact, he certainly found the king himself, the one who brings about the greatest treasure of all. Do you know him? And are you living for him? Are you grasping the nature of the kingdom? That the good news of the kingdom is that Jesus reigns over everything, especially your life and mine. And we can find the treasure we so long and chase for and chase after. We can find it in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would uh, take your word, take these parables, these examples of a seed and a pearl and a treasure and leaven. God, use it to explain your goodness to us, your kingdom, that you rule, that you reign Uh, that you have brought uh, people that are undeserving, like me, undeserving like so many of us in this place, God, into your kingdom, that we get to call you king. As we sang earlier, you know, just amazing that the king has welcomed us. And so, Father, thank you for that. I pray that you build our faith and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.